The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho's The Plot of Thunder and Rock and Roll and the exclusive home of the critically acclaimed Duff McKagan. Joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling here. I hope everybody's doing well there. Hey, listen, did you hear about the guy who invented Tic Tacs? They say he made a mint. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Oh, that's a stinker. <laughs> but thanks to Duff for bringing the laughs every Friday. And thanks to everyone who's come to see us on the Spotlight on North America tour. Fozzie, we've been on the road for the last few weeks. We've got a few more shows left on this tour. We're in Madison, Wisconsin tonight, Friday, November 3rd. We're playing District 142 tomorrow night in Wyandotte, Michigan, just outside of Detroit. That one is getting close to selling out. We hit Versailles, Ohio, on Sunday, November 5th, and we close out this leg of the tour on Monday, November 6th, in Memphis, Tennessee. Just go to FozzyRock.com to see all the tickets and ticket information. Of course, we're doing our famous VIP meet and greet. It's the best in the business. We meet you, take pics, play a private set of songs you're not going to hear later on that night just for you. You can even sing if you want to. Uh, It's a great, great time. So come to FozzyRock.com and join us. And join us in the U.K. as well. Spotlight on the U.K. kicks off February 16th in Newport, Wales. Tickets to all the shows and the meet and greets are available now at FozzyRock.com. All right. Speaking of rock and roll, it's all about the rock today on Talk is Jericho. I got Luke Spiller from the Struts making his TIJ debut. They got a new record that just dropped today. It's called Pretty Vicious. It's a great record. Cool party vibe. Just like seeing the Struts live, I'm a big fan. And you can get Pretty Vicious. Listen to it wherever you buy or stream your music. And the Struts are touring. They kick things off tonight in Las Vegas. Follow them on Instagram at the Struts. Now, Luke is talking about the making of the new record, the impact that COVID had on the writing and recording process and on the Struts business overall, telling some great stories about his experience performing with Brian May and Roger Taylor of Queen at the Foo Fighter drummer Taylor Hawkins tribute concert. Great Paul McCartney story as well. Hilarious. Uh, Luke and Taylor were really good friends, and Luke explains how their mutual love of the band Queen started that relationship. So there's some details about a project that he and Taylor were working on just before Hawkins' passing. Luke also talks about teaming up with David Bowie's piano player, Mike Garson, to do some special shows earlier this year. What it was like to really learn and sing Bowie songs in a super intimate setting with basically just a piano. Once again, the McCartney story is hilarious. Gotta hear it. Let's turn the mic over to one of my new favorite frontmen and one of my new favorite bands, The Struts, talking about Luke Spiller right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. 
Good to see you again. It's been a while. I think the last time I saw you was uh, in Philadelphia or something like that, some kind of a festival. And I watched you guys tear it up and became an instant fan of the Struts on that day, about two years ago or three years ago, probably. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, Philly sounds right. Was it something to do with WMMR? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was us and then you and then Joan Jett. That's like it. That. Yeah, I remember. I because mean, I had black hair at the time. I remember right. trying to get a picture with Joan Jett, to, and for some sort of cringy post, like you know, finally reunited, you know, something <laughs> like that. But things have been killer for you guys, man. And and once again, uh, congrats on on all the stuff that you've been doing, all the success, and of course, the new record is pretty vicious, and it is pretty vicious. But it's so cool because. It's a little bit different from what I was expecting in the best possible way. Uh, it's got a real kind of more of a, is it a poppy sound? Is that what I'm hearing? My, almost an in excess type of a vibe at times. Kind of explain what you guys have done on this because it's, it's a killer record with a little bit of a different twist for me. Thank you. Yeah, I guess when we started working up a bunch of demos and we were in sort of if you want to call it writing mode. I, I do remember really vividly, this would have been about 18 plus months ago, just really expressing that we need to really make an effort to kind of push forward and do things that are a little bit more unexpected, met with a couple of things and songs that like our fans would would really like love and adore people who have been with us and followed us for, you know, over 10 years. So we were kind of mindful of pushing things forward, but yet keeping like our hardcore fan base still at like the center of our attention and songs like pretty vicious, for instance. Yeah. It's kind of like got this, like you said, it has like this, like in excess vibe meets like British indie kind of vibe. Right. But I, I, I love all of that, you know, and, Pretty Vicious, for example, the song, one of the reasons why I really wanted to make it the centerpiece of the record called the album, that title, for instance, was that I feel like it's a really great, strong song. And it's not us trying to sort of rip ourselves off, trying to do something like Kiss This or Could Have Been Me and, and all these kind of things, because we've done that. And I think we sort of stumbled on something really special that was totally unique that we hadn't done before and it was like that was the kind of thing i wanted to emphasize so um yeah and, and there's loads of little moments on the record like that but in terms of the sound i personally think it's it has a lot of elements of what we're really known for live which has been something that a lot of yeah, again, going back to the fans, a lot of the fans have always been like, oh, you know, we love the records, but like the what we feel and experience live is never quite that when we listen to it. So we really wanted to try and get something that had way more of a punch and just a real live uh, feel to it. And it does have it because, like I said, when, when I when I saw you guys live, it was really you know we have that vibe too. It's, it's a it's a real party type of an atmosphere, and the music fits that. And that's why you know I'm a big fan of you guys. Like I said, and, you know, a song like "Be a Prima Donna Like Me Tonight" is like such a killer type pompous. You know, it's very much 
I don't know. You think a little Freddie Mercury. It's got a little Rod Stewart. It's a little Mick Jagger-ish, you know, and, and you have elements of that on this record as well. Like we're talking about a song like Rockstar, for example. It does have that. Yeah. To, to me, that's kind of like, like just the way that even that you're dressed, it's, it's very 70s rock, but it's so much fun, which is something that that is creeping back into music now. But it wasn't mm. for a long time, especially when you guys started that vibe wasn't really there. I mean, you had like a darkness that was happening, but other than that, it was still very serious, but this is much more of a fun party type vibe that I get from you guys. Yeah, exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head. That was something that we were also really mindful of was we noticed quite a big shift in the musical climate from when we first arrived onto the, the scene, so to speak. And, you know, we had the pleasure of taking bands like Greta Van Fleet out for like their first tours and sort of seeing them really like develop. And even more recently with a band like Maniskin, for instance, that have really sort of tapped into the, the cultural zeitgeist. And, and yeah, it, it's a very different time for rock music. I think there's, there's been a real big explosion and want for live sounding guitar based music that really hasn't happened in quite a while so that was definitely something that we wanted to be mindful of because to me honestly I, when we started writing the demos i was like man let's just do something really different like let's make a whole record like pretty vicious for instance and get really kind of dark and, and groove based and you know that was sort of met with sort of like all right luke well calm down like you know just <laughs> Just remember that it's been a minute since you've been able to really work on a record and everyone's really wanting you to win and the band to win and they're waiting for something that they can latch onto and they want those really great rock songs. So I had to sort of like restrain myself a little bit in terms of how much we were going to sort of like push forward sonically. But I think we got a really great balance with the record. No, yeah, yeah, like I said, and, and and still expanding kind of your your musical palette for that. So, do, who did you work with on this record to to create these songs? Did you is it just all within the band, or did you have the producer working with you? The collection of demos that we had, admittedly, really span quite a timeline. There are a few songs like "I Won't Run" and "Rockstar," which every band, I'm sure you have them as well these kind of like songs that have existed for quite some time, but for whatever reason, you just can't really get them right. Mm -hmm. Whether it's like the lyric or the arrangement, even like the key, for example, with those two songs, for instance, it was like, okay, we've got the studio time booked where we're going to go in and track this album. And myself and Adam, the guitar player of the struts, we, we sort of like heard these, really early versions of those two songs. And we were like, we've got to get this right because the, the world really needs to hear them. So <laughs> with the pressure of the studio, knowing that it was like going to be coming up in two or three weeks, we were like, okay, we've got to do this now. And we rearranged both of those songs. We, we really looked at the lyric in, in, in the case of Rockstar, we completely started again lyrically. And it was like, finally, like we'd, we'd done it. So those two songs were, pretty old ideas anyway in their skeleton format some of the songs like pretty vicious for instance and uh do what you want were written just before our third album before covid happened and everything 
we kind of just kept them in our back pocket for a while and lived with them. And when it was time to choose what songs we were really going to hone in on, on the, the days of the tracking when we were in Nashville, we still listened to those and we were like, no, these are still really, really strong. And then some of the songs like Too Good a Raising Hell and Better Love, for instance, were really, really new songs that we had done just before the recording process. A song like Give Me Some Blood, for instance, was just myself and Ads and Adam had a chorus and sort of like a rough verse melody. And we collaborated on the, the arrangement. And when we were in Brazil at some point, that song sort of like formulated that way. So it's this real mixture of brand spanking new ideas with things that have been floating in the Strats ether for quite some time. And I think because of those reasons, it, it could be one of our strongest bodies of work because mm-hmm. the ideas are so realized and some of the tracks we've really lived with and they still felt great even sort of five, six years on. You know, it's amazing to me too is how big the struts have become and with not a lot of radio play you know radio is so important like for, for our band radio has kind of been a lifeblood for us and helping us get to a certain level you know top 10 singles and 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 you know top five singles and that sort of thing and struts have never really had that it's just been just blowing up almost word of mouth type of a vibe of a vibe yeah i think when we first initially came out to the states 2015 we had like a a really healthy amount of radio attention surrounding could have been me and kiss this our our really early singles Mm -hmm. the second record we had like a similar bit of attention but honestly everything kind of really slowed down and i think this went for a lot of people and and i'd be curious to hear what you went through but when the pandemic happened and we shunted all of the dates for the the tours that we had booked, which we were really looking forward to. And we couldn't really get out on the road for the best part of at least 18 months. It definitely took us back quite a few steps in, in terms of all of the hard work that we've put in since arriving to the United States and touring all over the world off the back of our debut album. Yeah, I think since then, this year particularly, for instance, has been the struts working and clawing our way back to mm. where we were in 2019 just before everything collapsed and we we've done it we managed to to book another amazing sold out show at pier 17 on this last tour uh something that we were doing in 2019 we've done some incredible incredible shows and uh people were starting to really come back and we sort of entered the public consciousness in a, in another new fresh way so i'm really proud of myself and the rest of the guys for for doing that but it was it was really tough when everything kind of closed down yeah it certainly was especially when like for, for you guys as well internationally even you know had such a good name for like for us in the UK and, you, and like you said you kind of had to start over again but the fans are back which is great mm. and that's why it's the perfect time for for this new record and this kind of resurgence of of rock and roll and, and resurgence of people just going to shows again you know yeah yeah I, I honestly feel like this year I know we're coming to sort of like the end of it but we've been touring it quite well and we've done some brilliant brilliant runs and 
for the first time in such a long time, I was like, I don't want to use the word normal, but yeah, it really kind of felt like things had sort of, the dust had settled, the paranoia sort of surrounding everything had sort of like eased off. And I can really sort of feel that fans now are coming really back with more enthusiasm than ever because they've obviously been deprived of it or they were anyway. Yeah, it kind of feels normal again, you know. (laughs) The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's talk about kind of the the, the, the origins of the struts and, and, and talk about kind of you as a musician and, and who, who kind of were your favorites and that sort of thing. Because like I said, there's so many different ingredients into the struts recipe, which is you know, every band has that, but I really just, for whatever reason, really dig your guys's vibe and what you do with your influences, etc. So kind of talk about, you know, your, your early years of becoming a musician and who you really were into. Well, it all really started when I joined like my school band, which so many people do. And I would highly recommend it to <laughs> anyone who is like 13, 14 years old, getting together with your mates and, and starting a group is, is just such a, an amazing way to grow up in those really important years of your life. And I was lucky enough to have that. I, at the time, I was on this real journey of just being obsessed with everything that was 70s, 60s, that kind of era. For instance, like Queen and The Darkness were kind of like my first real musical obsessions. I remember really getting into queen the day after i went into a record shop in bristol where i grew up and i saw all of these albums in in the cd section by queen i was like bloody yeah they've done a lot (laughs) and i i made the conscious decision i'm like right i'm gonna go from the debut and i'm gonna buy that now and then i'm gonna soak it all in and go chronologically and i did that over the span of like a year and I was just sort of like blown away I loved the diversity and everything I I obviously really admired the musicality and obviously Freddie's voice it's funny it's like once you really fall in love with one particular group you know you sort of like read up on them you buy magazines you read through their interviews and it's like they mentioned their influences and then I would suddenly go and check them out so with Queen it was like I was suddenly looking at Hendrix, for instance, who was Freddie was a massive fan of. And then later I'll go on to discover like Led Zeppelin, which again was a massive obsession uh, for quite some time. And then fast forward like a, a bunch of years later, after the school band really wasn't doing a lot and everyone was breaking off to university. I don't want to say I was giving up on a musical career but it just really wasn't working at the time and I had no one particularly inspiring to work with right and I was about to to head to London and try going to like drama school which was something that I'd always enjoyed um at college for instance and I had a message from 
my previous manager, who had heard a song from school band's MySpace page. What was the school band called? Oh my god, it was called Fluke Star. Fluke Star. Yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> so bad. My band was Scimitar. <laughs> Nettle. <laughs> if, if you have a school band, it has to have just a, a terribly cringe name that, <laughs> that you're so stubborn that you can't change it because you're convinced that like you know the world's gonna fall apart like if you change your identity you gotta draw, draw the logo draw the logo on your school books and everything and it's so serious man that we're going all the way these four guys we're gonna be together for 40 years absolutely <laughs> but you know that again this is going back to what i was saying it's, it's all part of the experience which you know, definitely inspires you later on down the road. So they heard on, on MySpace, they heard your song. Yeah. So he heard my song and was really interested, like who wrote it, etc. And I, I obviously told him that I'd, I'd written it and he was like, mm, okay, do you still want to pursue some sort of musical career? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I do actually, the more I think about it. And he told me that he'd been in communication and, and sort of like mentoring uh, this guy called Adam Slack up in Derby in the Midlands and his, his band and whatnot. And the band was kind of, you know, fizzling out at that time. He, he encouraged me to go meet ads and I ended up traveling to meet Adam and, you know, we just hung out and wrote a couple of tracks and we were just really encouraged by our management at the time to sort of just keep working with each other and just keep sort of like building. And before we knew it, we had like a record deal after recording this demo a CD with like three original songs on it. Yeah. We kind of like built the band relatively quickly after that and then began the creative process for the debut record pretty soon after that. What was the vibe like in, in England at the time when you were starting out? Was the scene, was it a good scene there? It wasn't bad, actually. It really wasn't bad. You had, it, it was just very different from what we were doing. You had bands like the 1975 was still coming up. And I remember, I remember the band was living in a house when their debut single Chocolate came out and went to number one in the UK. So they were sort of like having a moment. And then there was, there were bands like Peace temples tribes that were kind of all coming out and it was it, i guess it was a little bit of a uk indie like resurgence in in some ways mm. but again like look wise and sonically it was like so different from like what we were doing and to be honest you know we got we got a lot of um kickback uh from even our label at the time and and sometimes even the people around us and, and management for the way that I wanted to dress and the way that I wanted to present myself and really present the music. Yeah, it was really challenging. And in fact, the song Could Have Been Me was really born out of that feeling of frustration that I didn't want to sort of go along with the trends and I wanted this group to really stand out and, and have like a real vintage look and sound because that's just you know that's just what i was really into at the time and it's really curious to sort of see now with those bands that i mentioned earlier like manaskin and greta van fleet and 
there's more like Dirty Honey, for instance, and um, even this great band called Max Satin that we've got out on the road. They're all really embracing the look and the vibe and everything that I was really like pushing sort of like 12 years ago. So it's funny how everything goes around in this amazing circle. It makes me laugh though that that a record company or whatever would be pushing back against somebody who wants to do something a little different because that's kind of what rock and roll is based on. You know what I mean? Like, and that's one of the reasons why once again I, I was into you guys and got a, got attracted to you because the the look that you had was so cool and different from most. That's what you want. And exactly. I mean, that wasn't ex- it wasn't the absolute reason why I wanted to do that. But I was also really conscious of the fact that if you look at the, the music industry and you're, you're, a, you're a band that's coming up, I, I do really feel like it's important to, to stand out and, and be unique. And of course, yeah. every single band that like, you know, you and I love, for instance, when you read up on their, their early years, it's very rare that they were sort of really going along with like a particular trend either musically or, or visually they were they were sort of like out there on their own and it, right sometimes it takes everyone a minute to to sort of understand it and get it but yeah that was exactly what i wanted to do as well and, and, for, and it just goes to show that when it comes to an artist's gut feeling and their first instinct that tends to be the right thing to to act upon and you know admittedly there have been times like in my career especially when I was younger, I'd get talked out of things. I, I would doubt myself and sort of second guess myself. And it's it's something that I've sort of learned to really sort of embrace and understand because like you just said, it's like for the reasons that I felt passionate about, you took a look at the group and was like, wow, what is this? Like, Yeah, exactly. And heard it. And so in some ways, my instinct was, was correct. So it's I think it's important for especially young artists to really have faith in their own vision and rely on their, their gut instinct and, and follow that because, you know, the suits and the labels and whatnot, they really don't know anything until <laughs> it sort of blows up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then they're geniuses. Yeah. We had that with, uh, with our song Judas, where when the record was about to come out, I was insisting that Judas be the first single. Has and they they wanted another song and I was like this is the one like if I was a fan yeah and this song came out after three years of waiting I'd go nuts for it a little bit of an of an issue finally I got my way and the fucking thing went gold and became our biggest song so like we know deep down inside that this has a chance because you never know for sure right but this is the instinct mm. that I have and much like you it worked out worked out the way you wanted it to you know yeah I'm, but on the flip side of that there's definitely been a few moments where I've got it completely wrong. Oh yeah. <laughs> like what? Tell us. <laughs> For instance, this might be because of my lack of experience and I was pretty naive and green at the time, but when we were writing and recording the debut record, could have been me, for instance, was a song that was done and written quite later in the creative process. And I remember when it was being really sort of realized and the very first demo of it was done and I was singing all of the big gangs and singing the lead. And I went outside with, with ads for like a, a cheeky cigarette. And <laughs> and I was I said to him, you know, as you normally do, like when you're sort of one-on-one, when you're outside and the producer's not there, 
I was sort of like, you know, what do you, what do you think of this? And Ads was like, I think it's really good. And he was like, what do you think? I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm not quite sure. Sometimes you just don't know what's sat mm-hmm. in front of you. And I've also begun to also recognize that as well. Like the idea that I have sometimes how I want to present the group in terms of like a single, for instance, I have to also sort of try and remove my my own preferences and sort of keep in mind that, you know, sometimes a song or a certain type of song can promote a record and be way more accessible than other choices of tracks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Which I sort of will always sort of listen to reasonings for as well. So could have been me i had no idea i was like yes yeah, yeah it's good and then it comes out and it just goes <laughs> and it's still to this day like giving and getting synced and being sung on like in movies and everything and but to me, it's, yeah. it's a platinum record yeah that i see in it, which is a million a million copies sold or equivalent streams of so that's that's a huge hit for you guys exactly i got a platinum record completely wrong so there we go <laughs> The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever had a chance to meet any of your your big influences? I mean, a few of them aren't with us anymore, but but a lot of them are. Yeah, I had the the privilege of attending and performing at the Taylor Hawkins tribute show. I I felt so honored and lucky to to be a part of like Taylor's incredible send off, and I was lucky enough to front this super group of queen and the Foo Fighters like mixed into one. And that was absolutely crazy. So you had Roger Taylor on the drums and Brian up there on guitar mixed with Dave and the rest of the Foo Fighters. And that was just like insane at Wembley stadium in front of 80,000 plus people. And I got to sing, we were rock you the the fast version from their live album, live killers, Mm -hmm. which was a version that me and Taylor used to do with his covers band, Chevy Metal. And that was just, I've said this kind of before in in other interviews, but you know, there's no other way to describe it really, but it was one of the most bittersweet experiences I've ever had in my life where you're all there on this incredible day with an incredible audience to sort of remember and send off like this incredible person who was equally an, an amazing musician as well. And you're also you like, you're really sad, it, but then like, it's amazing and inspiring to see so many people gather for, for one person and for one specific cause. And then to think that just before Taylor died, for instance, you know, four or five weeks before we were, we were rehearsing together, getting ready to to do a bunch of shows where we were going to look at the early Queen stuff and, and really sort of dig out the deep cuts and, and do a bunch of shows like that. We Will Rock You 
uh, fast version was one of them, for instance. And to think that it went from this to that was just really mind boggling. Mm -hmm. And one of the saddest days in my life, but yet at the same time, one of the most incredible days. So it's, it's a really unique, bizarre thing when I really think about it, you know? Yeah, it's like the highest of highs, but it's also based on one of the lowest of lows, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's so strange. It's so strange. Again, it's it's not something that I would like to ever sort of like live through again. But at the same time, it's like I, I got to live out a childhood dream. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no kidding. Know, I got to I got to sing pretty much for you know the remaining members of of Queen that are still active and. One of the most incredible experiences was just before going on stage, I had this knock on my dressing room door and uh, this lady said, Brian wants you to, to come to the dressing room. I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll be gone. Bang, shot of tequila because I was a little bit nervous at that point. <laughs> so then I go down and, you know, Brian's there and Roger's there and uh, I hadn't met Roger before, so I shook Roger's hand and sort of had a bit of a moment to myself where I was like, bloody hell, this is actually happening. And I said, is everything all right? You know, are we good? And Brian's like, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure you were here for the, the walk to stage uh, with us. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it was showtime. And I remember walking through the backstage area at Wembley with myself and Brian sort of leading the pack to the stage. And I just suddenly realized, oh my gosh, this is so surreal because when I was growing up at that time that I was talking about earlier, I would watch these videos of like Freddie and the band like <laughs> backstage at MSG doing the walk. And there I was doing the walk with like my heroes. And it was so incredible. And doing the walk in the same stadium where, in my opinion, the greatest gig of all time queen at live aid took place and here you are you know some 40 odd years later singing with queen at wembley stadium like that's unbelievable <laughs> it, it was amazing and then you know to sort of even go full circle with live aid we had bob clear mountain uh mix the entire show who did live aid and it was like oh wow <sighs> I mean, I've heard it. I've, I've been to Bob's house because he lives out here in L.A. He uh, he invited me around and he was like, I, I really need to show you what I've done. I was like, OK, so he, I go into his studio. He has this big projector screen with the footage. And I haven't seen it since it had been performed. And he does everything in like Atmos kind of mixing. So he made me sit in this one specific spot in the studio where I was sort of like at the prime position to experience everything. And my God, it was incredible. It was like the closest thing to reliving it that I could ever experience. It was like <laughs> the power of, of the music and, and the crowd. It literally felt like I was back at the stadium again. It was quite emotional. Um, but he, he's done an amazing job with, with mixing that show. And what do you expect? I mean, it's it's Bob Clearman, so yeah. Well, and just so many people were on that show. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like you said, and I want to ask you about Taylor in a second, but did you get a chance to see anybody else around there? Because everybody was there. Mate, it was insane. Like, I remember my dressing room, I had 
Brian Johnson to the <laughs> left of me. And then I had Justin Hawkins from the darkness, like a little bit further down to the right. Who again, like I'm massive fans of and meeting Brian was, was so, so cool. And he was such a nice guy. And yeah, gosh, like Lars Ulrich as well. Like he was such a sweetheart. Just everybody. I remember, I remember there was this really surreal moment. There was like this big kind of party after the, the show. I was sat there with Rush on my left and then, <laughs> and then Josh Holmes from Queens of the Stone Age was there who we sort of really got on famously during the week leading up to the performance. And then there was Paul McCartney. We were all sat on this sofa just talking and having a few little drinks and whatnot. And I was hitting this vape at the time. And uh, Paul turns around and he's like, what, what's that? And um, I was like, oh, it's, it's a vape. And he was like, is it weed? And I was like, no, no, it's just tobacco. And he was like, huh. I was like, do you want to try it? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I passed it to him and it was a flavored <laughs> one. And, and he was like, oh, and he seemed to really enjoy it. And then <laughs> we all sort of dispersed and sort of like said hello to, to other people. And, and every 10 minutes, Paul would come up to me and be like, he, he was sort of just grabbing it out of my hand. And, <laughs> and then, and then one time he, this is, this is as weird as it gets. He went to go and grab my vape and he was having these little martinis. And he spills the martini all over my lapel on this suit that I was wearing. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And he begins to try and, like, suck it, like, out of my lapel. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what is going on? I've got Sir Paul McCartney, like, stealing my vape and sucking on my lapels. (laughs) But you'll be very pleased to know that I did keep that, that vape. And it sat on a shelf in my room. And everyone's like, what? You know, they'll be like, "What? What? What's this random like vape you got?" And then I'm like, "No, that was sucked on by Paul McCartney. That one. That, I'm never getting rid of that." You've got you've got the McCartney DNA. If you ever want to clone him, exactly. Be- you know, behind me over here, I have a mic, uh, a foam, the foam head of the mic that you put on that Gene Simmons bit off the mic and spit it at me. Oh, amazing! I kept it with you. Could still see the saliva mark on there. So yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, <laughs> no, you got you got to look. Every dinner party needs a good show and tell of like That's a couple of like rarity <laughs> obscure objects that mean something to us. You know, the longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a seventy yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You mentioned playing with Taylor and Chevy Metal. I didn't realize that you guys did that together. Any good memories of Taylor? Obviously just a sweetheart of a guy and a great musician and a great singer too. Yeah, man. Like, from the get-go... Me and Taylor just really like hit it off and he he was such a huge Queen fan that we would just sort of geek out all the time about Queen and very quickly he sort of like befriended me and then introduced me 
to obviously his his covers group and I would sort of get up and I remember we did this really great performance at the Corbin Bowl here in LA and mm-hmm. that was like a super special night at night and from then on it was sort of like whenever I was available and whenever it's sort of like our paths could cross it was we would always sort of try and get together and do something and play shows and uh honestly the main reason I ended up making the move to LA in 2019 was because of Taylor. I I was lucky enough to to be invited by him to his Thanksgiving. It was then he sort of sat me down. He was like, "Look, you, I mean, you you got to get out here. You've got to sort of like do this and get into the thick of it." And I'd never really considered it before then. And I was like, "Oh, I don't know." And he was like, "Look, come on, do it." And I was like. I was like, I really should. I was like, you know, at this age, I, I should really do it now while I can and whatnot. And very quickly after that, I, I ended up moving. I just rented a room from one of Taylor's friends, Brent Woods, who uh, mm-hmm. it was in Chevy Metal. And um, and that was it. And my, my kind of life, my professional life as well, really changed because I'd already had some sort of a social in- infrastructure in terms of like producers and people that I knew all of a sudden everyone was like at my fingertips that really helped for not just me but the rest of the band become way more productive and actually sort of like go out and and socialize and sort of like become really sort of relevant in in the scene like in LA and yeah he changed everything for me and and I evidently like i i owe him a lot because he was he was he was a really really great person and and beyond all of that he was like such a fan of music Mm -hmm. that's one thing that separates the good from the great in the music industry is like when you when you speak to these sort of like legendary people who have really sort of become masters at their craft and a lot of the time they don't even realize they are like taylor like you know he was still pushing to become better and better and better Mm -hmm. and i think that's why he was sort of incredibly humble and i think people found that incredibly endearing about him but yeah you speak to these massive legends in, in in music and rock and you can just talk to them for hours and hours about who they fell in love with musically at an early age and they they still are looking for that next song and they're still looking for like that next artist or that next band that's something that's going to make them feel so you know what i mean and it's like you can recognize that in in people now you know well it's it's one of those things too luke like we're all just fans of music and 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 usually when you meet somebody like that it it takes you know, one or two meetings to get over the fact that I was like, oh my God, I'm talking to, you know, Paul Stanley. And then after a while, it's just, he's just a dude who has a cool job doing what we do, having fun and having, you know, creating awesome music. And there's a real kindred spirit amongst all of us once you get over that, oh my God, it's so-and-so, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just been such an incredible journey. And I feel so lucky to have met and worked with a lot of people that I really idolized and like adored when I was really getting into rock music. And every now and then I sort of wake up and, and definitely have like these kind of pinch me moments. <laughs> so, 
something else that's interesting that I wanted to, to ask you about. Actually, my producer, Stacy, went and saw you. You sent it to me, I guess, about a year ago of you doing Bowie songs with Bowie's piano player. Is that who it was? Yeah, it was Mr. Mike Garson. Right, Mike Garson. Who I believe, from what he tells me, <laughs> from what he tells me, he is the, <laughs> the longest standing member uh, musical collaborator that David Bowie ever had because he, he loved to obviously change things up. And Mike actually joined for the Spiders from Mars tour and wow. pretty much continued to work with David in the studio and on tour up until pretty much when David passed away. So I, I think it was 40 plus years that he'd worked with him. Yeah. And I'd seen this clip. I think it was on Instagram somewhere, but it was at this really cool new place at the Sunrose, which was on in sunset in LA, which is attached to this really cool members club called the Brightly. It was him playing. Uh, I think it was Jake Wesley Rogers, who I also really, really think is amazing. And, they were doing these Bowie songs and it was like Bowie sort of, I wouldn't call it like tribute, but it was almost like he, I could see he was inviting different singers to sort of like do these shows. And I was like, wow, I need to do this. So I, I got in contact with him really quickly after that. And uh, yeah, we just sort of like settled on a couple of dates and we designed these sort of shows, which were a collection of songs that were really sort of thought about. And we mixed like my favorite Bowie tracks uh with a couple of contemporary people that i really love and respect and a couple of other songs and there were a couple of original songs as well that i had written by myself which i had the chance to sing in front of like a small audience with just my voice and the piano mm -hmm. which really sort of inspired me after that and very quickly that's kind of led to myself even this week, I'm, I'm, I've just been working on a solo record all because of that experience where I just thought, wow, this is, this is really unique and special. Just stripping everything back and relying way heavier than like being in a band on the lyrical content and the melody. So those shows of Mike were, were really inspiring and, and such a great thing to be a part of. How was it singing Bowie? Obviously, such a unique singer. What what songs? Because there's so much diversity in his voice as well, and different styles of music. I mean, he's the template for that. Yeah, I mean, I I knew that he was a great saxophonist from like what I'd heard. I didn't fully appreciate his sort of vocal melodic metering until I had to sort of like really sit down and listen to the songs mm -hmm. uh, more so than I have ever had done previously. And once you sit down, you're, you're learning like a Bowie track, whether it's anything from spiders and from Mars or the latest stuff, even hunky dory era, you really can understand and appreciate the fact that he is also a player because he kind of uses his voice. Right more of like a, an instrument rather than sort of like a singer because the placements he like starts on the beat he starts behind yeah there's, there's something really free flowing about it and it's not always like on the grid which a lot of popular music does or or traditional rock music for instance it, where it's all quite symmetrical david had this like incredible way of 
approaching almost every other line in a different way from the next. And um, hmm. yeah, it makes interesting and amazing to listen to, but having to sit down and sing it, you realize it becomes really kind of like tough. It's like, oh my gosh, this kind of goes against all of my usual basic instincts I've, I've done previously. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's interesting when you cover bands and like you mentioned, you hear a song and you think you know it and then when you realize you got to sing it, like you said, it's a whole different world because I can totally tell what you're talking about with the Bowie phrasings, you know, and the syncopations for sure. Yeah, and then on top of that, working and performing with Mike, who is essentially like a jazz pianist. He, he obviously played a lot of rock stuff, if you want to call it that, with David and, and a whole wide range of different genres that david always you know dipped his toes into but he's really free-flowing and there's no real like tempo when it's just you and him mm. when he's playing the piano and i'm singing the best way i can describe it it's kind of like this wave of back and forth where he leads and then i sort of sing and you're constantly like feeding off each other and the tempo is just doing this like woo, like depending mm. on where in the song you are so that was something that i had to learn really really quickly and something i hadn't done for years and years and years since singing in my school jazz band so that was really cool and um i think after those gigs i sort of came out feeling a lot more confident about my musicality and the way that I can approach songs. And I, I definitely think it had an amazing positive effect on the Pretty Vicious album because I was sort of approaching the song slightly different, hmm. thinking about the vocals a little bit different and, and not being afraid to be a little less symmetrical um, than probably what I'd done before. Yeah, that's one thing I always enjoy when you play with different musicians and, and you kind of expand your 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 horizons a bit. I think that I think that's a good thing. That was one thing. The one of the the few positives about the pandemic was a lot of that started happening where you would. I started an '80s non makeup Kiss cover band and singing those <laughs> songs. You know, like it's hard to sing that stuff because I don't sing like that in Fozzy, but it really helped kind of expand my musical palette, so to speak. And that's what playing with other musicians can do that for you exactly it's all great valuable learning experiences and um whether it's was doing all of the stuff with with taylor you know doing these shows with mike and of course like with with the struts as well it's like i feel like i i can really bring quite a lot of um experience now and i think to sort of like go back to the album like slightly i, I feel like the the dynamics in the record in terms of like the song choices and the way I'm using my voice, I, w I would say is, is probably the most diverse we've ever recorded on, on a body of work. And it makes for a really interesting listen. 
No, I agree. Like I said, it is, there's a lot of different styles on it, which is very, it's a very easy record to listen to. Mm. And obviously you're going to be playing it live. So you have some touring coming up that you're going to be, that you're going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. The, we actually start in Vegas, which is the day the album comes out. So that's going to be a really tough day to not sort of go out and have an absolute rager, like being in <laughs> Vegas and performing the day the album finally drops and, you know, your, your sort of baby is released to the world, so to speak. So I'll have to try and behave because it's right at the beginning of the tour. And as you know, sometimes if you, <laughs> if you end up having a big rager, like at the beginning, it would take you like a week to get over it, you know, because you're just in tour mode. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to these dates. It's going to, we start in Vegas and we pretty much end in LA just before we break off for the holidays. So it's going to be really, really great. So how is that for you once again, like when you're on, on tour? Cause that's one thing, you know, I have to be careful too. Cause I like hanging out with, with people and doing stuff. And obviously the worst thing you can do when you're on tour is go out to a club or something after where you have to kind of talk loudly and strain yourself even more. So how do you, how do you find the happy medium? I, I feel like going sober during a tour for me is what really works. Mm. I'm not saying I'll go completely dry for the entire thing, but for 95% of the tour, I'll try and just not touch alcohol. And out of my own experience, I've sort of found that it not only helps me to kind of cope with the various sort of struggles that you can have on tour whether it's sort of exhaustion last minute things that get set up and and suddenly the schedule turns really hectic and you're on planes every other day mm -hmm. not drinking just really helps me out so i do that and then i i tend to sort of do a lot of cardio on my days off and just sort of take it easy on the show days and and I get a little nap in while the rest of the band sound check. So that's sort of like my time to sort of like rest, you know. But yeah, that tends to be what helps me get through it. And honestly, like it took me a while for me to realize this, but up until about 2018, I hadn't ever sung or got up on stage sober since I was about 16 years old. Wow. And I remember doing... It was just this sort of like diet that I was trying, um, which sort of led into the tour, sort of bled into the tour. Like, and, and I wasn't drinking during it. And I remember doing these a few shows and thinking like, bloody hell, like I feel so much more in control and my voice is way more powerful and I feel like I have way more stamina. And then I just, I just didn't want to drop that, that new level of expectation that I'd sort of experienced for myself. So then, for then on, I sort of have realized that what really, truly makes me happy more than anything in the world is getting onto the stage and knowing that I've done my absolute best under the circumstances in which I've been given. Doing that sober for the most part really just sort of like helps me to achieve that. And I walk off stage and and I'm like, I did it. Like, I, I really felt like I was really sort of like on it tonight. It makes me appreciate the show more as well. Like, I'm, I'm so much more aware of like my audience and what they want. Mm -hmm. And I can read that. And I think it's made me 
a better frontman and performer, dare I say it, ironically, you know, because I think people have this preconceived idea of the, the rock singer and the front man, whatever. And, you know, they want them stumbling around on stage and sort of like <laughs> snarling at people. But that's not really, I guess it's not really my style. I, the way I can describe it is like, if someone says to me, why don't you drink, you know, before you go on, like, don't you need like to get in the zone? I'm like, well, imagine drinking half a bottle of tequila and then going on a six mile run. Cause that's what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, last few questions for you, Luke. You mentioned uh, the front men. Who are, who are your favorite front men uh, that influenced you or that you like right now? Obviously, Freddie's definitely up there. I, I always loved Robert Plant. I thought he was incredible and super unique. Bon Scott was also one of my favorites. Hmm. You know, the three of them are like really different, but like has such character. Of course, Mick Jagger is someone who is completely unto himself and is just such like an inspiration. Yeah. But then again, there's also other people as well, like Scott Walker, who I, I really love and adore and who just have like these incredible voices. And I, I tend to really love and admire singers that can do things with their voice that, that I could never do, whether it's sort of like a certain type of vibrato or the range it's sort of like those are the singers that i really tend to listen to but i would definitely say those four were definitely key in different types of genres as well like james brown like i was obsessed with i just couldn't get i mean when i started watching some of his live concerts i, I just couldn't believe how tight and well rehearsed and how much of a musical leader he was you know, doing those gigs and it kind of blew my mind. I was like, this is so great. <laughs> and then, yeah, I guess the, the more like kind of recent people would be, you know, Justin, obviously from the darkness, I, I adored when they, they were coming out and, and still do. And Pele from the hives, I think is, is an incredible, incredible performer. Good call. And yeah, I'm always kind of on the lookout for new people, you know? Yeah, man, that's a good call with, with Pele with the hives. I was a big fan of theirs gosh, probably 15 years ago. Last question for you though, Luke, uh, what's your favorite song on the new record? I know it's hard. It's hard to kind of pick just one because they're all your babies, but which ones stand out for you and, and which ones are you looking forward to playing live? Mm. I mean, I'm looking forward to playing, I think we're doing about five or six new songs from the record in our next set. Uh, in terms of the songs that I really love, I honestly, a bit of a basic answer, but Pretty Vicious, I'm really proud of. I love the way it builds. In fact, it's my mum's favourite song that we've ever done, which is actually oh, wow. quite funny. Yeah, I, I have no idea why. And she just starts air drumming when she starts listening to it. But <laughs> I love the way that this, that song builds. And then when I jump up the octave on sort of like the vamp at the very end of the, the song, it sort of like goes, yeah. And it's, the guitar solos are really great. And I love the production. But then I Won't Run as well. I'm really looking forward to performing that. And I'd say those those two are sort of like my my favorite tracks on, on the record. Well, dude, like I said, it's a killer record. I, I like Rockstar. Uh, that one stood out to me. And I also really liked, uh, like you said, Pretty Vicious is great too. But the whole record is is awesome. And it's awesome talking to you. And I look forward to seeing you again soon, hopefully on the road. 
then we can hang out and have some tequila as long as it's not a show day. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, exactly. It'll be fine, mate. Tequila all the way. I'll I'll happily break my tour sobriety <laughs> for you to have a couple of shots for sure. I promise that. All right, dude. Well, congratulations, man. And then we'll see you soon. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers, Luke.